When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 150th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. And your 150th episode is brought to you by me, your host, Mac B, the Wolf, who has been here for every single show. And, of course, I will be joined by my partner in crime after all these years, former college roommate Gary Action Jackson, coming from the East Coast of the United States. And I think this is just a good time to pause here and thank everyone who listens out there for helping us get to our 150th episode. It's been a lot of fun for us. It's really born out of the pandemic. I was living in London, Jackson living in the U.S., and we were worried about each other, wanted to connect. And then we started checking in on each other regularly, then started giving each other homework on records that we wanted each other to listen to or things that we discovered and wanted to share with each other. And I realized, hey, this would be a great podcast and it would be something to keep me sane during this pandemic. So we started there. And then, of course, I moved to the Netherlands for a while. Now I'm back in the USA and we've grown to just a couple of guys talking about records or artists that we loved to now having great guests on being part of the Pantheon podcast network of about a hundred different shows and really getting to meet some folks that we admire. And this show is going to be really special for us because today we're talking to someone who has made dozens of records over the years, someone we used to watch on MTV back in the day and someone whose career I have followed a great deal kind of first came in in 1988 via MTV, and it just blossomed from there. I'm talking about Steve Kilby, who is the lead singer, bass player, founder, and lead songwriter of The Church, who many of you will remember from the 80s, their big hit, Under the Milky Way, which has been featured in movies like Donnie Darko. It was their biggest single in the United States. We, of course, found them via MTV. It was on the album Starfish, and then from there, I really started to follow their career and became really keen on them actually got to meet them once a few years back, which was really cool while they were opening for the psychedelic furs and the church are back in America for the second time this year to promote their new album, Hypnogog. And Steve's going to talk to us all about that, but I think you'll find Steve to be very engaging. He's got a lot of hilarious stories. He is opinionated. He will tell you what he thinks. He doesn't just dress it up because it's an interview. He'll tell you exactly what he thinks. And talk about touring, talk about hits, the pluses and minuses of having big hits. We'll tell a story about being accosted backstage for not playing one of his big hits. Talk about videos, being on MTV, all sorts of fun stuff. It's a really enjoyable interview. I think it's probably the best that we've done. And we're just so proud to have him on our 150th episode. 
Before we get to Steve, a couple little bits of business. Like I mentioned, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. hundred different shows, music related. There's something in there for everybody. Go to PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods to learn more about all the great shows on there. And of course, we have to thank our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Who've been sponsoring us for a while, guys, but they've been in business for 40 years. And they've got a stellar reputation within the industry for procuring high-quality LPs and other music-related collectibles, CDs, singles, posters, tour programs, point-of-sale merchandise, display items, whatever it might be. You can find all sorts of stuff with over a quarter of a million items in stock, and they ship all over the world. So for your Australians, you're looking for something special that you can't find anywhere, go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, you can save 10% off your orders. Now, it's a one-time code, so don't just buy one CD single Go find a few things or go find something that's really rare and hard to find and get that shipped to you wherever you are in the world. And we thank the folks at rarevinyl.com for believing in us and for sponsoring us for the last year and a half or so. Now back to Steve Kilby. Yes, Starfish kind of catapulted them to success in America, but they had big songs in their native Australia that were big hits. Things like Unguarded Moment or Tantalized, which is off my favorite of their albums, Heyday. And in their new set, they're playing some of those again. Not to mention the stuff from Starfish and a lot of stuff from their great new album, Hypnogog. So I know you're going to love this. Jax and I are chuffed and proud to welcome Steve Kilby to the 150th episode of The Wolf. All right, but so before we talk to Steve, I mean, look, I came to the church through 120 minutes on MTV. I thought it was cool that, you know, I just I just knew that the Bullet Boys weren't the future of rock and roll. <laughs> I, I just knew that Color Me Bad weren't going to be around for 40 years. And I'm like, you know, there's got to be other music out there that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine got me into 120 minutes where you could listen to alternative or college music radio was kind of the way they sold it back then. You had to market it some way. And that's how I found the church because under the Milky way from starfish was getting a lot of airtime there. And then eventually reptile did as well. And then the subsequent album gold afternoon fix metropolis did as well so i didn't know anything about them until then is it the same for you or did you even come to them later than that i i had no idea who they were you had you had starfish when we moved in i had it on cassette yeah Yeah. we may have listened to it in the car (laughs) probably yeah and and it was one of those ones where it just that song once it once it grabs you it's there you've never i'd never heard it before but it's just it's it's just catchy enough. It's just rocking enough where it it hooks into you. But it's not like you said. It's not the Bullet Boys. It's not it's not cheesy. It's just it's just haunting. And to this day, I hear that, and bam, I'm right back at Rex Beach again. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, and it is you know, a lot of times you have one song that makes you more famous that that everybody remembers, and maybe it's not indicative mm-hmm. of who you really are. But honestly, the mood. And the temperature of that song and the style is very church. I mean, it's it's atmospheric. It's a little psychedelic, but it's also very guitar driven, not just like AAB blues, not just like double guitar hard rock, but they have two guitars and that's their signature sound. It's just it's a little more ambient. It's not always up in your face. It's very mm. melodic. And Steve Kilby is a great songwriter. 
a prolific it, songwriter. Right. Yeah. I mean, and we were talking earlier. I mean, what did you say? He'd written like two, he's written like 2000 songs. Yeah. I mean, I think he's published over a thousand and then, you know, he's got a thousand more that he just hasn't, you know, he's, he's just got to be an open channel to the muse when it comes in the room. Mm, yeah. That, that is exactly 1000 more than I've uh, <laughs> published and 2000 more than I have ever written or will ever write. So yeah, that that's always my, I'm just in awe of somebody like that, who it's just, it's just always running through your head, you know, oh, you know, that could be something. Let me write that down. Just the way that you put, you know, lyrics together and then you find the music to go with it or vice versa. I don't know. Maybe you have the, maybe you kind of have the music first and then words come to you. I don't know, but either way, I can't do it, and I am I am definitely in awe of some of people that can. And for someone who's written so many songs, to not be that well-known in America, I'm like, well, look, if, if we can help more people catch on to the church, I'd love to have them on the show. And mm-hmm. it turns out that they've released, what was it, their 25th album or something like that earlier this year, the Hypnogog. They already did a tour of America in the early spring. They went back to their native Australia and did some touring there. And now they're back for the second leg of the tour. So I said, hey, Steve, I'm a huge fan. I've got a lot of your records. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come on and tell us about the new one? Let's help promote this tour and help get more people out to see you. So he said, okay. (laughs) I know you've been trying for a while. And when he came back with, okay, it was like, wait, wait, read that again. He really just say, okay, like he's going to do it. Can't believe it. Yeah, and what's great is as you kind of go through the catalog, whether you go wherever you come in, and obviously for me it was Starfish, whether you go back to more of the early stuff or you follow from there and go into the different incarnations of the band, the different eras, it still always sounds like the church. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is because of Kilby's voice, of course. He's the vocalist and the, the main songwriter. And so it always sounds like the church, even though the albums are different and they have different themes and they're going through different things at different stages of their lives. You pick any of them out and you pop it on. It could be from this year. It could be from 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. It always sounds like the church. And it's interesting too, because I would say that they're probably contemporaries of maybe like REM here in the United States yeah. mm-hmm. and they're not around anymore. They're not writing songs. They're not, they just decided that that was it. They were done. But you know, like you said, Steve's still out there. He's got, he's still got more songs to sing and it obviously enjoys being out there touring. So good for him. Yeah. I mean that, that's the impressive thing. He's close to 70 years old with all that songwriting. And he's had a prolific solo career and he's mm-hmm. got a record label. He's written books. He's done collaborations with other people. He doesn't have to do this necessarily for a living, mm-hmm. but he has to because that's who he is. Right. And and that's and that's the that's the cool part is, you know, somebody still who still has the fire, still has the drive to, I mean, haul himself all the way from Australia to the United States to it's not like he lives in California or anything. I mean, he is a he's an Australian citizen who makes his way all over the world to still perform. Well, it's interesting. He did live in a, in, in L.A., I think, for a little bit, but I don't think he liked it. I mean, yeah. I, I, and the thing is, the story about Starfish is they came, they recorded the Wadi Wachtel, but 
they didn't like LA. And I can mm. understand that in like late 80s LA with all that hair metal going on, not to mention all the violence and having to drive, you know, two hours <laughs> to, to go 10 miles or whatever, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be from a bunch of happy psychedelic kids from Australia. Mm. But out of that came the album that got them the most recognition. And I guarantee you that on people who are going to see them on this tour in America, 95% or more, the first time they hired the church was from Starfish. Mm. So you can't, it can't be all bad, right? Right. But I wonder too, when they came to the United States and especially LA, like, did they have a certain image in their mind? Like, was, did they think this was going to be like the, you know, the hippy dippy sixties doors, mm-hmm. LA woman, LA. And then you get here and you're like, ew, this yeah. isn't what I thought it was before. This place is horrible. Yeah. This is like the worst place you could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. But then what is it like now <laughs> versus 1988? I mean, as right. nasty as LA was, back then with everything that's gone on especially the last five years i wouldn't go to la on a bet man mm, yeah I, I don't uh i mean i've seen i haven't been there in quite some time but i've seen you know video there's not really a whole lot going on apparently a lot of stuff is closed downtown so closed there's yeah. homeless people everywhere yeah people are leaving the state and you've got amazing beaches but nobody can afford to live on them unless they're <laughs> you know <laughs> Taylor Swift or whatever. So, and she's too busy working to enjoy it. So, I mean, yeah, it's that's why I wanted to talk to him about the Hypnogog mm-hmm. and their legacy as a band. You know, I mean, a, a lot of people after 40 years never would have made it 40 years. A, B, they're like, okay, let's wrap it up. It's like, nope, we're going to make another new album and then we're going to tour on it and we're going to come to the United States a couple of times. That's pretty ballsy. And not only not only an album, but I mean, there's two different versions of this. There's the the regular and then the deluxe. The deluxe version is like an hour and a half long. This is a this is a there's a lot going on on this record. He's got a lot of new material here. So not just a quick, you know, 35, 40 minute in and out. Right. No, I mean, that's he's prolific in all sorts of ways. So but I mean, that was the impact of MTV in our lives. Right. I mean, the mm-hmm. MTV generation, it wasn't just those first few years, 81, 82, 83. By 1988, when we're in high school, it's part of our lives. It's like, well, of course, I watched MTV for an hour once I got a chance today. Or, you know, it, yeah. I, of course, I watched MTV news to see what was going on today. Right. Mm-hmm. I had to see what Kurt Loder had to say. Well, and especially too uh, when they started to branch out into to those other deals like like uh, 120 minutes like headbangers ball because it gave you a chance to see stuff that was not in the regular heavy duty rotation so that yeah then you were looking forward to not only mtv but that show that you wanted to watch because you wanted to hear something new and you wanted to be the the person that came to school and was like well let me tell you about this band that no one's heard of but this guy here exactly you know and mtv was smart i mean look a random video doesn't get much of a rating right Mm. but if you can put them together in like an hour or two hours like okay this is just this genre and we don't play it all day long so this is just this then you can sell that you know it's like or we're going to do the Mm. news at this point or we're going to have behind the music or whatever it was they kind of figured it out now of course mtv now is a travesty it's like you know 16 and pregnant it's like, jesus who's watching this <laughs> and like who wants to be on the show it's like oh i'll get pregnant so i can get on 16 and pregnant I'm like no 
Don't get pregnant. Not at 16. You don't need to do that. You know, it, it's and the odds of you getting on the show are bad. And then even if you're on, I mean, who's the most successful person in the history of 16 and pregnant? The girl who went on to do porn? You know, don't be that girl. Trust me. You don't want to do that. So I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's disappointing. I mean, I remember eventually in the 90s, late 90s and the 2000s, I went away from MTV mm-hmm. and went to VH1. Because they played stuff yeah. by artists who write their music and play instruments. It wasn't just rap and boy bands and girl bands. It was like, oh, yeah, here's some actual rock music for you. And then it got even better when they did VH1 Classic. Because then that was all the stuff that you wanted to see. And I still love VH1 Classic to this day. And I guarantee you, you could see Under the Milky Way on VH1 Classic one night. A private consultation Under the Milky Way Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Here comes Steve right here. Hello, Yo. Steve. Hello, mate. How are you? Very well. How are you this afternoon? I'm pretty laid back. I'm sitting here in a garden in California where my daughter's garden is having a day off. So I'm pretty laid back. Well, good. Good to hear that. Thank you so much for being on The Ugly American Werewolf. I'm Mac, and that's, that's Gary Action Jackson on the other side of the screen there. Okay. Where are you guys? I am in Louisville, Kentucky, where I saw you play with the Psychedelic Furs about seven years ago. Jackson Ah, is just north of Jacksonville, Florida in Georgia. Correct. Wow. Nice part of the world, guys. And for you as well. It's beautiful where you are. Uh, Congrats to your daughter for living in such a beautiful place. Yeah. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. 
Yeah. Very nice. Well, so so tell me, you're back for the second leg of the U.S. Hypnogog Tour. You've done a couple of dates so far. How's it been going down so far? Well, they've all been really, they've all been very different. The first one was more of a regular kind of gig at the Neptune Theater in Seattle. Mm-hmm. That was a great night. And then the next day we did KEXP, or did, was it KCRW? No, it was KEXP in Seattle. And then we did, and then we did a festival in San Francisco called something like, not necessarily bluegrass or something like that. And and it was like a free festival, and we played there. And then the night after that, we played a tiny little place as part of the Sweetwater Festival in Mill Valley, just outside San Francisco. And then last night we played a kind of a I don't know sort of this new sort of venue type of venue i don't know how to describe it anyway that was in um ventura and yeah they've all been pretty good they're all very different as a sort of a every night there's a new kind of things to every time you play there's new challenges and new advantages everywhere we just sort of i'm happy i'm happy we can get up at like nine in the morning and can go into (laughs) a radio station and play a nice set yeah that's a good thing yeah it doesn't i mean Anyone can go on at 11 o'clock a night on a Saturday night in a big place and be good. But, you know, nine o'clock on a, on, a, on a sort of morning to turn up and set up and play and still sound pretty good. I was, I was really impressed that we could do that. Well, good for you. And I'm sorry that uh, we're missing that. But I, I'm, I'm sure folks in those markets are psyched to be able to hear you guys do that. That's pretty amazing. Now, you've, you've kind of, since the last time you were here... I know you've played some gigs in Australia. It looks like you've extended the set a little bit, brought back maybe a few classics from over the years, as well as some more new songs, and, and you kind of extended it, maybe put a little break in the middle. What was the thought behind that? Did you just want to uh, break out some more of the old ones or, or make sure we hear no, more I, of the new ones? Uh, I'm really conflicted over all of this. I, it's a, you know, it's, I mean, it's only rock and roll. It's only pop music and I'm just a singer and I've just got a band. <laughs> but the whole thing of, you know, where, which songs to play and the old oh. ones and the new ones, it's sort of like slightly controversial for me. Because um, I'm really tired of some of those old ones. And um, sure. in Australia especially, there's a couple of old ones they really want to hear. And I sort of begrudgingly do them. But right. I'm, and one of them made its way back into the set here again because the rest of the band wanted to do it. I just, I just don't really want to dwell on the past. It's sort of like I, I think of back to when I wrote those songs and when we were playing them. There's probably mm. somebody in the audience yelling out for something else. It's always there's always a sort of dissatisfaction with whatever you're sort of doing at the time. There's or people stand in the audience yelling out for under the Milky Way after about three songs. Like, oh, uh, I love the Milky Way. Goodness. It's sort of yeah. I don't know. Whatever I do, I sort of get into trouble. <laughs> I feel like I I if I if I really had my own way, you know, this set this set we're doing now, I'm pretty happy with. There's a couple I wouldn't be doing, but other than that, I think it's a good compromise. There's a dog here, and it's having a really weird relationship with this rock. <laughs> oh, it's goodness. got this great big rock. It's it's this like it's this little French bulldog dog. Okay, and it, it's found this rock. It's found this big flat rock. It sort of looks like a turtle or a tortoise, but it isn't. <laughs> and it's kind of it's it's sort of attacking it and sort of trying to eat, either eat it or have sex with it <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's probably all, I have filmed it. I filmed it before. My daughter's come out now trying to get him inside because it's, <laughs> it's disturbing my interview. 
Um, but that's rock and roll, folks. That mm-hmm. is, and that's um, why we love it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I have a feeling I know what song you're talking about there, uh, an early song. But yeah, you've never really let any grass grow under your feet, Steve. I mean, what is this, your 25th album with the church and more than a dozen solo albums? So I hear you. You don't want to just be stuck in the past. You've got this great new album. Let's go out and play it. But you know, sometimes people want to hear something that got them in. I right? do. Yeah. I do under- I understand how it all works. Believe me, I really do. Um, and that's why, that's why we, that's why you have a sort of a compromise. It's frustrating when the, I'm just over that one particular song. It meant so much. And in Australia, it, it became, I, ha- I was wrestled with that because people got so angry if we didn't play it. Mm. And I famously tell this story about one, one night in 1981. 1981 in Australia in the wrong venue, that was like the fucking Wild West. Let me I, tell you. I bet. You know, it was 1981. It doesn't sound that long ago, but things were a lot different. And we, we played this town in Australia, and I said to the band, I don't want to fucking play that song tonight. Mm-hmm. And they went, yeah, let's not play it. So we didn't play it. And our dressing room was actually over the crowd, and we finished the show and went upstairs. And there was like a riot going on. Really? And the manager came in. The manager came in and he said, mate, you better go down there. He said, I don't know what they want, but you better go down there and give it to them. <laughs> and we did. And it was like one of these things like, if you didn't do it, I don't know what was going to happen if we didn't play it. it was gonna, there was literally going to be a riot. And they're probably going to come in after me with torches and pitchforks. So it's sort of strange because, and I thought all our songs sounded the same anyway, so I couldn't sort of work out why um, that one had such a huge, it, it was such a huge disproportionate hit. And then the next song and, or the song before it and the song after it, which wasn't really that different, right. they didn't like. So I, I don't know, it's sort of, um, I've always had this sort of difficult relationship with it. And I, I was, I had banished it and gotten rid of it and everybody knew I wasn't going to play it. In an unguarded moment In an unguarded moment In an unguarded moment one night i played in a town called wollongong back about say 20 years ago we okay. played an acoustic gig we played an acoustic gig and there were these two aussie women standing in the front going God in my okay. and you know i mean i like to fancy myself as more than just a guy who wrote a song you know a long time ago and you know have written all these other songs and done all this other stuff and i playing got a moment hmm. anyway we didn't play it. The more they said it, the more I was determined I was not going to play it. Sure. I came off stage. I'm standing there in my undies getting changed out of my sweaty clothes, and these two women burst in, what? knocked the bouncers out the way, and <laughs> column, they grabbed me and they're going, we told you to play Unguard a moment. Oh You're going to get back out there and play it. You see, so I have this complicated, that's just one, I could sit here and rattle off things about Unguard a moment, anecdotes that would surprise and frighten you. <laughs> so I have no doubt. I have this complicated relationship. I feel every time I play it, I'm like I'm sort of taking this easy way out. I don't I don't really want to, you know. So it's it's very after all this time after 43 years, 
is I have very complex relationship with my with my past and these old songs. And yes, it's back in the set, and um, it, we're playing it in America on this tour, and we played it in Australia. And there you go. That's that's the power of populism. There you go. But it has to it has to make you feel good somewhere. Even though you you said you've got you you had these relationships with the song that you created, it doesn't some... it doesn't it Does really it? doesn't. Okay, it's like no, it doesn't. It's like imagine one day you take three minutes out of your life and you create some little thing. I've done this with my family. Make up a little song in three minutes, and all the kids like to sing it. Imagine that that becomes a pop song, and you write this song, um, and you and it all becomes a big hit, and then that's. And then suddenly that's it. It's like that's the cutoff point and that's all people want to know about and mm -hmm. think about and talk about. And 43 years later, you're, <laughs> you're there. All the gigs I've done, all the, all the records I've made, all the things I've seen and heard and all the experiences. And then you're still being dragged back to that three minutes in 1980 when you sat down and knocked out a bit of a tune. You know, mm -hmm. it's all like... Yeah. I should be no. I should be grateful, and I, I, I am. This is how complicated it is. I am, I am simultan simultaneously grateful, and yet I'm also resentful. <laughs> and those two things produce this unfortunate feeling inside me. I just want to go. Ah! You know what I mean? Which I, I never foresaw that when I first picked up a bass guitar. If someone had told me that I would one day write a song that people would want to hear, that would have made my day, and I would have gone, "Wow! I don't care what that song is. Sure, I'll be happy to play it forever." But having had it happen, and particularly something about that song was so Aussie, you know, it's like anger mm. moment. That was <laughs> never my intention to write that sort of thing you know mm. so that, that that just gives you a brief insight i should see a therapist about this song <laughs> just i Maybe. talk about this song every fucking time i see them <laughs> it's worse than an ex-girlfriend but, but that brings up that brings up a good point too though i mean it's your show you don't you don't owe anybody anything you go out there and well, I kind do of, what you yeah do. well that's but see, look there's nothing in the world isn't black and white it is mm -hmm. my show but i do owe them I think there's a, it's like if, if you pay, say, 500 bucks to go and see the Rolling Stones, mm. on one level you could say they don't owe me anything. And you'd be yeah. right. If they wanted to come on and, say, play around with some sort of jazz sketches they just composed and came mm. on and, you know, and, and sort mm. of poetry and a little bit of, they could say, Puppet we show. don't owe you anything. We can do whatever. But there's an implied contract. Mm -hmm. There's an implied mm. thing when, when you buy it. When you buy a ticket to see somebody, there's a sort of a there's a general expectation of what you will get, and especially in the days of the internet, maybe not so much once upon a time. If King Crimson was coming to town mm. in say 1974, you didn't know what the fuck they were going to do. Nope. <laughs> you know, you had no idea. But these days, everybody knows what everybody's. You could find out whoever whoever you like from I don't know. From Neil Young all the way down to whoever's playing at the local beer barn, you can find out pretty much what they're going to be playing, and and you sort of, you have your sort of expectations of what they do. So really, a responsible person, you sort of have to take that into some kind of account. And I really agonise over all of this stuff. You know, to me, it isn't. Although I might go, no, I'm not going to play it. That'll show them. 
I'm really deep inside. I'm I'm arguing myself and going, really? Are you you really going to be that, you know, are you going to really be that much of a curmudgeon to not play this fucking song? Four minutes out of your life, what right. will it hurt you? And, you know, I, and so it goes on and on and becomes more and more like a snowball rolling down a hill. The whole thing is coated in this massive contentiousness for me. Well, I don't really know. I've, I've, lost, I've lost my moral compass on what I should be doing. And I swing backwards and forwards between, I'm never going to play it to, man, I've got to play it. See? Right. So you've, you've got a lot more than you ever expected with this question, didn't you? <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, we love it. But let's spend a little bit of time on the new album, on the Hypnogog, which, which we really like a lot. And apparently you've just released a deluxe version, which has another six songs. So now you've got like an hour and a half of new music here, Steve. Well, this is kind of confusing. We made a deluxe, a digital deluxe, which I'd never heard of. We okay. got some new managers. We got some new managers and they said, for your American tour in the fall, wouldn't it be great to have a digital version, digital deluxe? And I said, what's that? And they mm. said, we put six new tracks on, on it. And, and they said, have you got six new tracks? And we said, we've got three new tracks and we're going to make three more tracks to make it six and then when we actually went in we came up with um we came up with um 12 new tracks wow so so that is now controversially enough on for a, a few people on our fan pages that is only available at the moment you can buy a complete cd of which has the digital deluxe extra tracks plus a whole bunch of new tracks that's all to do with the hypnagogue it's like all it's like fleshing out the story of the hypnagogue it's available only at our gigs in a kind of a an attempt to get people to you know create a sort of a you know i got this at the gig i think that's a i know once upon a time i would have thought that was exciting if i went to a gig and there was an item there i could only get at the gig once upon a time well i'm a sucker for the poster are, yeah <laughs> the poster or, from the show yeah, like because yeah, you can only yeah, get it there you yes. have to have it yes yeah well anyway so so now there's the hypnagogue and then there's another complete cd called eros zeta and the perfume guitars which are songs are sort of songs within the songs of the hypnagogue it's sort of fleshing out the life of the guy who was the hero of the hypnagogue he was allegedly a singer and had a band and so <laughs> now we've made the record of what he might have sounded like you know so it's a sort of it's really just a bunch of new rock and roll songs but it has a bit of a story to it And I'm sure I will be picking it up when I see you at, at Covington, Kentucky at the Madison Theater here in a little bit more than a week. And Jackson, you've got to go see him at Ponte Vedra not too long after that and pick that up as well. I just saw that come up. Yes, I will be getting my tickets very soon for the show in, uh, in Ponte Vedra. That's good. Now, so here, maybe this is another sole point that we will uncover here because we okay. are collectors. And like you say, you've done, what, 25 or so original albums of amazing music it's more than can i even do you want me to be really give you the real pedantic answer to that absolutely it's actually a lot 
it's nobody knows how which how, how many albums to count and they don't know because there are records that didn't come out in some places right. there were eps that put together there's acoustic reinterpretations there's an album of our favorite covers there's albums of rarities that only we put out mm -hmm. in reality in reality the church has put out something more like 35 or 36 complete works right not but 26 you, but 36 yeah but you haven't put out very many live albums of course there's the no. one you've done uh, this is brilliant you know the one you did uh, at the uh, opera house with the orchestra yes on dvd and cd love this it's wonderful you you did release one on digital download only that i think was from the starfish tour live in new york several years back but you've never really put out many live albums why is that? No. And is there any desire to? Um, no, not from me. Okay. I, I sort of feel like I feel like live albums are never. I, in my own in my own personal world, I like the real album better than the live album. There are a few really good live albums. Sure. Um, again, I'm thinking I'm thinking of um, Get Your Ya Ya's album, mm. which was I I fucking love that album. Um, we, lo we love we love found yeah. something. I found something on that that wasn't on their albums i don't know i really just i just really liked it i like i that became the real album to me tell me another live album i should love oh i don't know um, rust who, live who, live who, rust by yeah who live at leeds live rust by neil young all the world's a stage okay there are okay neil young the neil young one that was um that was such an that was such an important change for him it needed it needed to be documented and i think live was the way you know that this new approach that he had this sort of especially on that you know that one song hey hey mm -hmm. the that huge it's like fucking it's like hall of the mountain kings or something like i think that deserved to be documented but i think live albums that are just how a ba band sounds that if I was really massively reinterpreting something or rediscovering it and doing something with it live that couldn't be captured in the studio, I think I, I it, you know, I, would, I ne don't say no to it, but I, it's just not my favorite thing. I, I sort of, I like more what you can do with the studio. And um, that's how I sort of want my songs to be remembered rather than the sort, the sort of what might happen, you know, on a, on on any a given night, night somewhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now it's it's interesting you say that because on this new record it does sound very layered. There's a lot of stuff going on, and the more that you listen to it, the more you can kind of pick up other stuff going on. So I th I think you you did a lot of stuff in the studio to to bring this new record together. This record was this record was very worked and worked and worked on, and I worked on it, on on it myself a lot harder and a lot more, and I got in a lot more involved in it than I had done for a long time. Once upon a time, I was obsessive about records. I didn't care who the producer was. You know, whoever it was, I was like, 
in there having my say all the time, questioning, coming in on the mixes, listening, to, if not there for the guitar overdubs, I certainly would have a lot to say the next day and keyboards things. And I, I, I had a lot to do with it. And then as things wore on and I sort of had personal problems and struggles, I kind of abdicated from that mm -hmm. and I drifted away. Uh, I just became the singer and bass player. Mm -hmm. Still involved, not so involved in, in the recording and the mixing and which takes and not playing so much keyboards and stuff. I don't know. I just sort of gradually became disenfranchised from that. And then on this record, because of COVID and everything else, I wasn't even supposed to be where I was, but I was going there anyway. Everybody was supposed to stay home unless you had some urgent business. My urgent business was to make this record. <laughs> I was driving around and I ended up in a studio on my own, no other members of the band there. And I sort of like, I started doing what I used to do with when I wasn't in the democratic situation. And everything to me is so, um, there's such a duality of everything. I love the democratic situation. I love having musicians and collaborating with them and having them be able to say to me, hey, you're really onto something here, keep going. I also appreciate when someone goes, hey, you're out of, this idea is not going to work, <laughs> please stop. I, I, I like to hear that as well. I mean, I might reject it out of hand but sure i still don't mind hearing it uh, but um being being in there on my being in there on my own i don't know i could i had all these these things i used to do when i bought my first four track years and years ago in 1977 when they first became available for in australia anyway you couldn't get a domestic tape machine you could overdub on until about 1977 tiak made this reel-to-reel -reel tape machine and i bought it and that and then I just sat around playing around with it and I sort of, I built up my kind of catalog of tricks of things that worked out that would be very hard. Like before that, when people's only exposure to a, a tape recorder where you could overdub was in a recording studio and you're an inexperienced musician and you go in and you go, can I do this? And the engineer goes, no, you can't, no tracks for that. We're not doing that. And you just sort of, it takes, it, I was really lucky that the circumstances were that this machine became available in 1977. I bought one of the first ones that came into Australia. And then I spent like three or four years sitting with it in a bedroom, figuring out how to make things work, you know, like mm -hmm. how it could be done with the kind of, the kind of ideas that sort of paid off and approaches to creativity and all of this stuff. So I, that's when I went into the recording studio for the first time to make a real record and there was an engineer and all that. And I would say, can I do this? And the guy would go, no. I go, yes, I am going to do that. And <laughs> yes. this is how I want, this is what I, how I want you to do it. If you couldn't speak their, their, ling their lingo, if you, if you just had this vague thing, oh, I want to do this, you'll never get it. But when mm. you could actually say to them, you've got to turn this down and turn that up and switch that off and move that around and then then you know so i was lucky that i had that anyway that helped with this record with this record a lot of that old sort of me came back when i was forced to be alone and working on it so um it is it's the opposite of the live record idea it's a very layered mm. um kind of lots of levels and lots of things going on that people say reveal themselves to you over repeated listens mm -hmm that you yeah. don't notice it at first. I really like that. I love that idea of embedded 
like when you see a movie and you、mm. see this movie and you really like it, and then you see it the second time, you realize there were things in there you couldn't have possibly got the first time. And、right. you know, it keeps revealing pieces of art that go on revealing layers of ideas and meanings and suggestions. I think that's really important. Sorry, I was, I was just going to jump in real quick, checks and say it's funny that it was a TAC reel to reel because I had a TAC double cassette as part of my stereo system in 1988, upon which I listened to Starfish on repeat a, a lot. So there's a TAC connection there. But、uh, but we are children of the MTV generation, there, Steve, and, and that's how we found you. Really, was seeing Metropolis and Reptile and Milky Way. On 120 minutes and on MTV, what did you feel about being on MTV at that time? Were you psyched, like, "Hey, this will help us find a new audience," or were you like,、uh, "This is just another nonsense"? Um, look, once again, I'm I'm really I'm really conflicted. I think I I myself behave really badly <laughs> when I actually got a chance to be on those shows. I behave like a real idiot, sort of like. This really stupid act of, oh, I'm so cool,、mm-hmm. you know, and the guy be whoever that weird guy they had who was, I think he sort of had an English accent, but it was a strange, you know, the guy I mean. Oh God, he, there was, was a couple of guys. Dave,、um, Dave, Dave. He was a really nice guy, but he, but he was always whoever he had on, he, he was sort of squirming because <laughs> you know. He th- he thought they were so they were so cool, and they were usually acting like they were so cool. So he'd go, "Hey guys, tell us about your new video. It looks really great. Where did you shoot it?" And the bands be sort of like,、um, so, uh, <laughs> um, you know, like I saw Susie and the Banshees were really good at doing this kind of thing. So were the Fall. I saw them on. Yes, Susie and the Banshees on this Australian TV show, and the guys like, "So, Susie, how'd you like Australia? You've been down the beach yet?" And her and a band looking at each other, going, "Oh, you know <laughs> what I mean?" Like they're still going, "Oh, we're so fucking cool. We can't even answer or talk. We shouldn't、yes. even be on this show." There's been some terrible mistake. That's how I was when I got on that show. <laughs> Instead of being like going, "Okay, well." I'm just gonna like I'm sort of am now. I'm just gonna talk to you like a regular person.、Yes. You know, it's like, but but we had and the band had this kind of this facade of oh we're so cool and and European and sort of <laughs> noir. <laughs> you know what I mean?、Yeah. I can't possibly answer any of your questions and just making an ass of yourself. <laughs> it's like and really one day I went on a TV show in Australia and I was doing all that shit. And they had an ad break, and the guy grabbed me, and he was right up in my face. And I was only a pretty young guy then, and he was like an older guy in his thirties.、Oh. And he had all the makeup; <laughs> all the makeup was powdered on his face, really thick. And he was sweating through the makeup,、Ugh. and he was furious. And he grabbed me, and he said, "If you weren't going to fucking talk, why did you fucking come on here?" <laughs> and you know what? It was a good question. Fair question, yeah. <laughs> it was、uh, okay. 
Back to the other part of your question, how did I feel about my videos being on those shows? Uh, it's more of a, I loved my videos being on there, but getting control of your videos in those days was very, very hard. Mm. And just because you might be a bit of a whiz in the studio and you could talk, the, you could converse with an engineer, when you came across your film director and he went, you're doing this video and you're going to dress up in a banana suit <laughs> and get up at 3 a.m. and ride around on a truck. You go, oh, yeah, but, and he'd go, no, but you don't understand. You've got to trust me. I'm going to make you look so good. And you'll be like, yeah, yeah. And then they go, and then the, if you kept on complaining or causing trouble, and this guy had been selected by your record company, because after all, some of these videos were $150,000, and wow. we're talking 1980s. Right. Can you imagine what that translates? The amount of money they were coughing mm. up for one video, they didn't want people rocking the boat. Sure. And if you if you argued with them or were, were uncooperative, they would make a call and then the guy from the record company would go, hey, uh, you know, can you try and fucking fall in line and do this? Because, you know, there's a lot riding on this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they'd lean on you and you'd trust them and you didn't always know what you were going to get. We were those ones you mentioned. I was reasonably happy with those. I thought Milky Way was okay. You know, the stuff, the extraneous stuff had nothing. It was a, one guy's interpretation. I like the, the eye and the egg when the woman breaks the egg open is an eye. I like the boxer, like mm. the tired old boxer that's had one too many slugs. Mm hmm. The girl walking around with the picture frame is all right. I didn't mind that. I thought I thought as videos went, they were okay. I wasn't I wasn't ashamed. There were some real shockers back in those days that, like, you'd see these videos and go, "Oh no, how did they how did they get them to do that?" Why? Um, so, Circuses and elephants. Yeah. Right? <laughs> And the way they all, the way they would all copy each other. So there was a real thing. There was a guy, I think he did the video for Vienna by Ultravox. And he started, and then all these videos would always be this thing. The hero would be having some sort of, sort of breakdown or panic or trouble, usually with a beautiful woman in some exotic location. And suddenly the rest of the band would appear as <laughs> 1920s photographers with cameras. And they'd go, snap, 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 snap. And then from on the screen flash momentarily would be the picture of the guy cringing down of the lead singer while the members of the band take his picture there was a lot of that everybody had that in their video gotcha so with with that in mind the the new video for for the uh the title track did you have input in that yes i did okay because that is really cool amazingly that video cost five thousand australian dollars wow. which works out about about three thousand american dollars and yet it looks like the same quality those guys used to char charge a hundred and fifty thousand for yeah it's it's 
and I don't know, maybe it's the advent, the advent of computer editing and stuff that's made this all possible, or just the general, like, just all the general stuff, I guess, what you can do with a computer and not using film and mm-hmm. all the stuff that came with real film or, or However it used to be, I guess there's been this some kind of revolution and now you can get really good high quality videos at a much an incredible rate. Yeah, so um, well, I kind of I kind of talked to him a lot about what I wanted and I told him the story and I said, if you want to take this one on, you know, sometimes you let sometimes you let the video makers do whatever they want because you don't really know what what you want. But with this one, I really totally knew what what was supposed to be happening, which I let him interpret it. But I told him what was happening in the song and he came up with a really nice interpretation. And then at every stage of the process, he was showing me pictures of the people he was hiring. He was like, do you want this guy? Do you want this woman? And um, he was showing me the sets and he would run things by me. And we, I, I, I really hassled him a lot too, a lot, probably a lot more. But I, I told him, I said, if we're going to do this one, you're really going to have to uh, run everything by me because I have to I have to go back and sell this to the band. The band, it took a while to sell everybody the concept of the hypnagogue and what it was. And not everybody thought that, not everybody thinks that's such a great idea. So <laughs> this guy was well, my first sort of chance to explain in a video, in a nutshell, sort of what the general idea behind the hypnagogue was. And, and for me, it personally it, it it helped me out a lot to to see where you were going with this because you know as as mac mentioned i mean we are mtv children and so we're used to having a video go along and help you out and to visually represent what the song is doing i think it goes together really well and you've got the oh, you've got the new stuff and the the old like analog stuff that go together it's kind of got a blade runner ish feel to it very cool now i stand empty-handed at the threshold of silence The end of performance The end of a life You won't get something out of mine You won't get something sudden and die You won't get something Yeah, I've always liked that idea, the um the sort of the future that's it's a kind of a broken down future where they can't get mm. the spare parts and mm. everything's running out and everything's running low and yeah and the hypnagogue's sort of put together from bits and pieces of all kinds mm. of things i really wanted that idea yeah i think he did look i, I think he look, the guy is a professor i believe at a queensland film school okay i believe he's one of the leading lights there and because of that he gets to i think he can use good equipment and gets a bit of time because he sets and stuff he's done a lot of videos for me over the over the years he is the guy i always go to he did a set for this other project and it was this was this woman inside a house being trapped and then she sort of breaks out of the house and she's in suddenly she's in a forest sleeping on a log over a river and he makes them look like like as i say in 1990 you'd be looking at if if you saw someone had that if you went that's tears for fears latest video mm-hmm. you go oh yeah you know that was that's the two hundred thousand dollars there so strangely enough there's been a sort of a in, a in a weird way there's been a revolution in the music business where you know originally this guy found me i was working with another guy making 
uh, uh, records. And this guy, we had this service where we would provide a song for a video. Sorry, we would provide a song for people to their specifications. So if you came to us and said, I want you to write a song. My Uncle John's having his birthday. I want a song about him. He's a great guy. He loves playing golf. We'd write a song. Happy, you know, Uncle John playing golf all day long. <laughs> and anyway, this guy wrote to us and said, I've made this video, but I don't have any music for it. Can you write me a piece of music to go with this video? And there's this beautiful video he's made of this strange little man walking along through the countryside. And he keeps picking up pictures. And it's me and the other guy. And then the pictures crumble and fall away. And he walks, as he's walking along, he comes into all these strange adventures. And we set it to music and it, it looked beautiful. And I think this was, that's when he, this guy came to my attention. That must, he must have been pretty young then. Anyway, now he's this, he, can, he just makes beautiful videos for an extraordinarily small amount of money you know impressive so. well what look whether it's the 26th yeah. record or the 36th record the hypnagogue is a, a fantastic addition to your catalog you, you speak about the future steve what is the future of the church beyond 2023 uh well i know i don't i mean i could you know one side of me goes onwards and upwards more records more tours <laughs> mm -hmm. and then the other side's going well i'm getting pretty old <laughs> i don't uh, no, I don't know how much longer I, I can keep doing it or, or how much longer I want to do it, you know? Like, I think yeah. I'm not, so I'm not sure. I would really like, with the bunch of players I've got right now and the external people working in my orbit, like that filmmaker, mm -hmm. like the guy who does our designs, our CDs and our posters, and, and the lady who does the collages for the covers, and with the players I have in the band and with engineers and studios I know are available, I would really like to make one more album and just give it everything I have that I've, over the last 43 years, since I first went into the studio in 1980, a 24-track studio, everything that I've picked up and learned and observed and every everything, I would like to have that one last crack at making that beautiful album topping the hypnagogue and getting unanimously good reviews and making everybody happy and sort of going that's that and then leaving it i think that that would be that would be a, a good thing to do i i don't think touring into my 70s is that great an idea it's a tall order no and i that's an amazing idea and i sincerely hope that you absolutely do that the next couple of years here i hope if i do i hope you like it and go that's, this is the album he told us that we were gonna do, he was going to do. <laughs> well, you we just make sure once you do it, you come back on the show and you talk to us about it, all right? Absolutely. Yeah. Always. Always. Whenever you need me. If you're doing a special on T-Rex or um, something like that, or a special subject where you want different people chiming in, I'm available for that. I'm, I'm a very opinionated bastard, as you can see. <laughs> yeah. I've always got something to say. Yes, we, we love that. And we've got a sideshow <laughs> called First Concert Memories where people talk about the first time they saw a band and it really changed their lives. And sounds like oh, you might be great for that, my friend. Oh, I'm a candidate. I had a, I, I saw this band. They were the best. They became a famous international. They were in Australia called the Easy Beats. Oh, and okay, I that, was, uh, that was George Young, right? George Young yeah, from George AC Young, DC, yeah. of ACDC yeah. family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was 11 years old. I saw this band. They were part of a package tour. My dad dropped me off. I went in. 
I sat there among all these prepubescent girls who were having orgasms and stuff. <laughs> and just when I saw when I saw what electric guitars looked like, how outrageous these fucking beautifully coloured electronic things, these guys, the sheer, the sound of the bass that hit you in the stomach. I wasn't expecting that. Mm. I On my record player, there was no bass. You might as well not have. Suddenly in this room when you could, the bass is going boom, 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 and the drums, the colour of the drums and the sound and the sparkle and the volume and the, the antics and the lights and, oh, my God, it was like, it was enough to keep me thinking for the rest of my life. You know, you walk <laughs> out of there going, yeah it was just and and the guys performing were only three or four years older than me the guys in the easy beats i i was like 11 and this and the lead singer of the easy beats called little stevie he was only 16 yeah when he was up there and he was so fucking exciting he was so (laughs) urgent do you know what i mean you remember how mick jackie's had a thing that Whatever he was doing, this was so important, urgent. This guy had it in spades, and it was everything he did. It was just, he was a blur of motion and dancing and pointing and jumping. And yeah, so my first experience was a really good one, like just like mind blowing. I saw the best band in Australia at that time. Yeah. And I was 12 or 11, 11 years old. And I was just like, it was just shockingly good. Amazing. I tell you. We'll book that for 2024, no doubt. Okay. Brilliant. Steve, thank you so much for your time and your stories. And hey, have fun on the road. We can't wait to see you okay. in the next couple of weeks. Thanks very much, guys. Before before we go, let me just say that hat is really cool. That's a rock star hat. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. See you later, guys. Be we'll safe. See you. Thank you. Should have stopped this long ago. Hi, this is Steve Kilby from The Church, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Once again, Jackson, people who well, say, don't meet your heroes. Uh-huh. Nope. They're not always right about that, man. Not even close. I mean, I, I was, I'm not going to lie to you, I was a little nervous going into this because, uh, I, I, I mean, I didn't, I'd never seen really too many interviews with him, but right. I mean, couldn't have been nicer, couldn't have been more engaging and, and genuine with his answers. Yeah. I'm like, I'm tingly here. I got like goosebumps. That was awesome. I know. He's not always just kind of dressing it up like, okay, well, here's the here's the safe answer that'll be fa- No, he's like, no, this is how I feel about it. And well, I knew he was talking about Unguarded Moment. The Australians, mm-hmm. the, the, the reference they have for that song is crazy. And he's like, fuck that. I've written so many other songs. <laughs> and I was better at songwriting. I was better at singing. I was better at playing. You know, don't get caught up on that stuff you know you're damn aussies but you know it's, it was like eurovision play ya ya ding dong he yeah. literally had people come backstage like get back out there and play unguarded <laughs> you're not done yet wow yeah and and the whole thing too about how you know he looking back on those 120 minutes and thinking like what a jerk i was like i was trying to be all cool and you know well, whatever man i don't care and you know you wish you could go back and grab you know as you now and grab yeah. that person and be like stop it 
don't just you know tell them be a genuine person don't try and be a don't try and be a someone you think is is what they want to see well, i know yeah like go back to teenage you like that girl likes you stop trying to be cool and right. just be nice to her stupid right. you know or don't wear that stupid shirt it's <laughs> not cool no matter what you think <laughs> oh that's great well yeah i mean i we definitely want people as this comes out there'll still be plenty of great dates uh left to see the church and i want to read them out here uh, because this is going to come out on October the 12th. And, and on October the 12th, they're playing State College, Pennsylvania. And then on the 13th is when I get to see them at the Madison Theater in uh, in Covington, Kentucky, which is basically Cincinnati. Covington, uh, Kentucky on the 13th, and they go to Atlanta, Birmingham, Alabama. Ponte Vedra on the 17th of October. You better be there, Jackson. Then Orlando, Clearwater, two nights in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Pensacola. So a lot of touring in the state of Florida. Going to New Orleans the 24th of October. Down to Austin for the Levitation Festival. Houston, Dallas, Oklahoma City. And then a couple nights in Evanston, Illinois on the Halloween and on the 1st of November for you Chicago fans out there. So go support the church, get the hypnagogue, go to the show and get the new super extra deluxe hypnagogue. I know I am and enjoy. I mean, I think they play like 26 songs spanning 43 years. You know, they do a couple sets. They are going to play unguarded moment. It looks like much to Steve chagrin, but uh, I'm pretty psyched about it. I was going to say, whatever happens, folks, don't go backstage and threaten people. If he plays it, he plays. And if he doesn't, that's okay too. Exactly. Goodness. <laughs> That's that's a great 150th show, Jackson. Congratulations to you for 150 shows. I, I was yeah, and same to you. I mean, I can't believe it's been 150. It's gone by so fast, and and just to have somebody so so cool and so genuine to uh, to share that with, that's awesome. And somebody who. It was important to me as a teenager. Like he wrote these songs that I was like, yeah, I'm not just part of the pop scene. I like mm-hmm. bands that not everyone, they were hard to find that not everybody knows about, you know? And then we listened to that together in college, you know, in the mm-hmm. car on cassette. I got him to autograph it when I saw him play with the furs, you know, a few years back, you know? So yeah, it's fun to talk to folks who love rock and roll, especially those folks who really, really know how to make it. And, and, and to get to talk to him, to bring him back for the first concert memories, to get to for him to talk as not just a musician but a fan mm-hmm. and it, i mean that's going to be awesome might, might be hard to find the set list for that show well i mean I, <laughs> even if you did i mean i couldn't relate anyway so <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. it's not like well i remember when i saw the easy beats and i've never seen them so right. just we'll just let him talk we will book that cool hopefully you can hear in our voices how much fun we had talking to steve kilby the founder lead singer bass player keyboard player lead songwriter composer arranger producer of the church we had so much fun talking with him so glad that he's still doing it still making great music and is on the road i really encourage everybody out there 
all those cities and those dates that I mentioned at the end there, go check out the church. It won't break the bank. You'll be treated to a lot of music and a really fine show. Not to mention you can get the super uber deluxe version of the Hypnogog there on CD. And I know I'm going to do that, but explore their whole catalog. I mean, Further Deeper, I think, was the album that came out when I saw them with the Furs those years back. And it's got a song on there, Delirious, that I think is as good as anything in their catalog. You know, so it's not like he's ever lost a step. Some lineup changes over the years. It doesn't matter. Steve is a hilarious guy, a very talented man, great singer, great songwriter, and still out there doing it, keeping the rock alive, just like all of us are trying to do. Go to thechurchband.net to see where they're going, to pick up their merch, to pick up their records, to learn more about the band. And as usual, folks, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Tell us the bands, the albums, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the tours, the stuff you want to hear us talk about. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for helping us get to 150 episodes. We've got thousands in us, guys. We just need a little time to get them all out. And without your support, it would be impossible. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for following us on Twitter and Instagram and Threads and YouTube and Facebook and for downloading and subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're thinking about it, guys, hey, put in a good word for us. Write a positive review wherever you get your shows. It's huge for us. It helps us get more guests like Steve Kilby on the show and just helps grow the show, helps us find more rock and rollers like you. Thanks as always to Pantheon Pods and thanks to our sponsor, rarevinyl.com. Use that code UGLY, save 10%, whether you're buying church LPs, Steve Kilby records, or anything that you find and fall in love with, save 10% at rarevinyl.com by using code UGLY. Next week, it'll be our 151st show. I think it's just going to be me and Jackson again reviewing an album that we love. So you have to tune in. But until next time, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.